0: And that's what it wants, to yeah. be able to move efficiently. I mean, and people think it's, you know, I got to get strong, I got to get mobile joints. No, you need good sensory input. Mm-hmm. That's going to create your fantastic motor output. And the complexity of the infinity walks, the visual stimulation, the vestibular, the automatic weight shift that you have in the infinity walk, the complexity of the movement in the figure eight, all these things add up to these sophisticated neural networks that our body craves. And, you know, it it was designed with learning and emotional disturbances in mind of helping kids with, with these types of issues. But in reality, it helps us move cleaner. And when you see somebody do an infinity walk and then they're doing their skill, you're like, Whoa, what just happened there? So we'll do it in a, like for football practice, we'll do it before an individual practice where we're, we're doing wide receiver routes, right? We'll do it before that. We'll put it into a circuit at the end of our workout that I'll do on the field. I hardly ever go back into the weight room to do our in-season training. We're always doing stations outside. One of those stations is always infinity walks. Hmm. They'll crawl during infinity walks. They'll walk, they'll jog, they'll hold their breath. They'll do all di- they'll do farmer's walks, doing an infinity, w- all kinds of different things.
1: That was Dan Fichter, and you're listening to the Just Fly Performance Podcast. Before we get to the show today, I wanted to mention a really cool item that is available now from our sponsor, simplyfaster.com in their store. That item is Exogen Premium Wearable Resistance. Exigen is a series of tight-fitting sleeves, along with uniquely shaped fusiform weights that strap directly onto those sleeves. So what I mean is you can have shin sleeves, arm sleeves, shorts, and a vest, and you can strap these uniquely fusiform-shaped weights, they're light in nature, 100, 200 grams, that strap on in a way that allows you not only to resist movement very specifically, but also add fine-tuned elements of rotation to that resistance. So this is the next level of wearable resistance. You may have heard this from back long ago on the show, Hank Kryenhoff talking about it, to recently Chris Corfis, sprint coach, talking about it. This is the next level in premium wearable resistance. I've used it myself. I love it. I love not only the way it feels and the way you feel uh, form and technique change. It, it's like combining technique with power. And so often we just think about weighted vests as just pure force, pure downward gravity loaded resistance. This is the ultimate combination of technique with power. And it shows up in things like Chris Corfis being able to take time off an athlete's 10 meter fly by putting the sleeves just on one side of the body an ipsilateral resistance. We're using the body's own systems, fine-tuning it, and that's what this does. It allows you as the coach or an athlete to create, explore, and fine-tune the way that the resistance is rotationally impacting the body. This is next-level stuff, and I know you'll love it. So you can check that out in the Simply Faster store. Head on over to simplyfaster.com. That's simply with an I, faster.com, and get your exogen gear today. The nervous system is kind of this last frontier of sorts in sports performance, athletic performance, and really even just human being performance. It is complex, but highly, highly relevant to every single daily task that we are involved in. And oftentimes, where we have tried everything else, there is a neurological limiter that is keeping us still in pain or keeping us away from the horsepower and the um, just the the true. I guess you could just say the, the full capacity of what we are capable of as human beings. And so the more we learn about the nervous system, the more we can understand, one, just how to be good coaches and to program training well, but two, to be able to find that why that one athlete just, is just not responding to this training stimulus or what what can we do with them in interviewing their nervous system to be able to get a little bit more output or to get them out of pain. And the man to talk to when it comes to taking more, I guess you could say dry, more clinical grade neurological ideas and porting them over into everyday athletic performance that you can nuts and bolts use right now in your training sessions, that would be Dan Fichter. Dan is a guy who is absolutely passionate about human performance in all facets, but is particularly interested in the nervous system. He's been on this podcast several times chatting about the nervous system as well as perhaps DB Hammer and then InnoSport-type training systems. He is an outside-the-box thinker and one of my earliest influences as a coach. He also is the owner of Want to Get Fast, a gym in Rochester, New York, and he's trained loads of professional athletes, uh, Olympians across a swath or a wide range of sports. We've talked about neurological concepts in the past with Dan. On this show, we're going to get into some things that I think are particularly pertinent or that have come up really in maybe just say the last 100 episodes of the show, but things that I'm thinking about and I know are, are popular and amongst just coaching conversation. And those are neurology in respect to isometrics. And we're also going to get into isometrics from a long-duration coaching standpoint, youth versus high school, middle school versus more developed professional athletes. What do they need from that extreme isometric or performance isometric type realm? And then we're going to talk about crawling, uh, neurological elements of crawling. We're going to talk about infinity walks and head gaze stabilization and the benefits that that brings, not just from a general perspective, but also how you can tie that in with skills and skill acquisition We're going to talk about the idea of sensory preceding motor and what that means from training athletes and keeping an eye on that. And finally, we're going to talk about what is Dan looking for in a neurological level warm-up and also what do these uh, warm-ups and neurological-based workouts look like. Dan's going to give you examples of workouts you can do with no equipment at all that uh, stimulate the body intensely from that neurological perspective and are extremely versatile and useful when working with really anybody. But uh, just great nuts and bolts ideas, taking complex things and putting that out in a format that we all can use to get better and have more weapons at our disposal as coaches in helping athletes to be the best they can be. I really enjoyed this chat with Dan. I know you will too. Let's get on to the show. Dan, it is fantastic to have you back on the show. So I wanted to kick this off with, let's just say, the top three things that you felt you learned from Jay Schrader. So I know you spent a lot of time talking to him, learning from him. And I'm curious, with everything you've learned in the neurological world in that space, what three things have really stuck with you from your time and learning from him?
0: As As I dive into this neural stuff even deeper, And like we were talking before, I I start connecting dots. So the first thing would be the isometrics And, and not just the term isometric, but the ways in which Jay implemented them and the thought process behind it. The intent has connected more dots for me in the last five years than it did 20 years ago when he was talking about it. So that'd be one is the extreme isos, extreme slows, whatever you want to call them. I think not just in producing results, but producing answers for other systems. Okay, so that would be one. Another one would be, Jay always used to say that as he looks at somebody, everybody's fast and everybody's strong. They just can't display it. And I got to tell you, I, I think I believe that statement. I really do. I mean, you know, if you just took somebody who was 300 pounds and and grossly obese and they they wanted to run fast, if they lost 200 pounds, hundred pounds, they'd run faster. Right. So finding different ways for them to display being a human. And that was pretty powerful statement that I think I've learned from him that I've, again, connected the dots 20 years down the road. And then it's always been with talking to Jay is the body's ability to absorb force. And whether it's your foot hitting the ground when you're running and your whole body absorbing force and creating stiffness and all that stuff, it goes by the word of you can't create force unless you can absorb it. If you want a 40-inch jump, you can't create a 40-inch jump unless your brain believes it can land safely from 40 inches in the air. So I think those three things I can translate into anything that I do and any work that I do.
1: Yeah, I love, uh, I could say a little bit about all those things, but one thing I really want to focus on that I think is great is intention. That's something that I've just been thinking about more and more myself with any time you put the body where you're basically doing, not, not doing nothing, you may, you're slowly, you know, sinking into it or things are lengthening, pulling into position, whatever you want to say, but it's like you have a lot of time between you and your mind and your thoughts and your your neurology, right? And so, right. like, what has been the big breakthroughs with intention in the last few years?
0: Well, there's a guy by the name of Sean Sherman who created the system Square One, as you know. One day we were chatting about his system and he mentioned the word intent be wrapped into these isometrics. And I'm like, wait a minute, this is 20 years removed from Jay Schroeder telling me about pipes and mm-hmm. all these things that you need to put into your exercises. And I think that was the biggest take-home in Sean's system was, these isometrics, yes, the brain understands joint positions and better than it does muscle interaction, and then the intent wrapped around it makes it even more powerful. So, it's crazy when you can connect a dot twenty years later.
1: Yeah, I, I, yeah, I know. Like when you can find different worlds that have are saying basically the same thing, it just makes it easier to, I guess, draw lines and triangulate and kind of find that all the gold that really is the commonality. I was able to have the opportunity to uh, observe Sean and work with him and learn a little bit about his system a few months ago. And it's awesome. As soon as I was going through there, I'm like, I wish I had more time. I want to master this stuff. It is so, it is so awesome. But I know he does like the signal six and the isometrics. Could you explain a little bit about those isometrics and the intention, the way you would prescribe intention in those and as opposed to like extreme isometric pulling into position type thing?
0: Yeah, so, so Sean's whole system is based off how the brain perceive ground reaction forces, right? And I think what sets his system apart from a lot of systems that are out there is the fact that he takes human gait into consideration every step. Because every step you take, your body finds the easiest and safest path to complete the task. That could change from step to step, mm-hmm. from joint to joint. And square one is the only system I know of that can actually find and, and locate those systems. And, and Sean always says it's like interviewing the nervous system. And I believe that. And and that's where it's become real powerful for me in terms of being able to pinpoint joint actions that are intolerant of this load that Jay talked about absorbing force. But now I can be even more pinpoint to find the the joint that is where I need to focus the intent. So these, sense.
1: yeah. So these are so in the Signal Six or Sean system, it's it's um rather than I guess like a bigger, more multi joint isometric, or maybe it could be, but it is it more like clinical, like more like a like a single joint or and a shorter duration, or how does how do those shake out?
0: He's he's grouped some isometrics together that cover um, some various joint actions that are really important in, in human locomotion. I'll, I'll That's what I'll say, and it. It's almost like a hand grenade approach to to treating somebody and getting them to move more efficiently. And then square one piggybacks off that to where it's a little bit more specific to exactly what that athlete needs. So again, when you're talking about neurology, you have to hit it perfect. When you hit it perfect, gigantic things happen. And I think the difference between signal six and square one is it's very general in nature, signal mm-hmm. six. But but that general in nature still, when you induce a stressor, it still answers the equation most of the time because it's covering most of those joint actions.
1: Yeah, that's actually what I was going to I have that written down to ask you. You mentioned a few minutes ago that the isometrics and in the intention will produce an answer. And so what, like, what is it the isometric answering, like the problem the body has or or how could you, could you explain that a little bit more?
0: Yeah, the, the joint that's intolerating the load that's coming into the body. And the way Sean describes it is when the foot hits the ground, the entire body hits the ground. It's not just your foot, your ankle joint, it's your knee joint, it's your opposite knee, it's your opposite shoulder. And Jay used to say this all the time, water will find the crack. So Mm. if you dump water onto something, it will find the crack and boom, it'll go through. Mm. That's exactly what force does in your body is it finds the intolerant joint and boom, that's where all the force goes to. And now you're going to have pain in that area, or you're going to have some type of compensation along the way that gives you joint pain in an opposite limb or something else. Square one traces it all back and, and finds these layers. And as you peel these layers back, your move your movement starts to to melt and it just changes. It's crazy.
1: I really like that term, the water finds the crack and, and how you put that together with Sean's like the f- idea with the the foot and it just and mm-hmm. the whole body hitting the ground, this whole this full body collision and that crack happening. And so the, you're talking about like the isometric answering the question of well, what where was the crack? And then using the isometric to remedy that situation.
0: Yeah, and, and in what plane of motion did the crack occur in? Is mm-hmm. it is it in the sagittal plane? Is it? I mean, that that's how specific it gets, and it's awesome.
1: Yeah, it seems like to me. I mean, as I explore isometrics more, I just released a really cool show with Stephen Jones where he was talking about isometrics. Uh, for the purpose of uh, more a more global, like a skill acquisition. Like, let's use it to help someone run, jump, throw, and put them in the specific, like a Franz Bosch term, like the attractor position, and then let's, we'll fortify that with an isometric. And right. so, I, and I think that's a cool example from uh, Global. And he also talks about that having huge advantages over like a concentric, eccentric, like a regular lift, because there's just, it's almost like there's too much noise, and there's not enough, any chance for a specific, like a honing in on that that train and so, would you say I, I feel like in rehab or like reconditioning in those types of setups, it's probably like kind of the same deal? I mean, maybe just on a smaller scale.
0: Yeah, I, I think the way I look at it is, is if you had you know those those satellite dishes, if you put satellite dishes on each one of your joints, everywhere on your body, they're constantly searching for that feedback from the environment, and like square one finds the satellites that aren't working real well it turns the satellites back on and boom here we go and it's as simple as turning it just a certain way to make sure that the force that's coming in goes out and it doesn't get caught in there and create you know neural confusion
1: <laughs> so really in a way i mean from a like a water in the crack i, I just like that so i keep using it and like yeah. but it but in finding that that joint that where the force is just not tolerated it's really finding that joint, and then is this joint a problem in the sagittal plane, the frontal plane, the transverse plane, and then you give it an isometric that just represents that issue. So, if I have a frontal plane issue in the hip, then I'm going to get a frontal plane isometric to remedy it versus, you know, a different joint action or something like that.
0: Yeah, and and I think when you study systems and not symptoms, you you look at like, like Sean's system is... If you take somebody who's watching somebody run and they say, okay, I see this problem with my eyes, Sean gives me this example. And I, and I use all hips, all of his little, I call them sound bites. They're incredible. If you took a picture of a sunset and a sunrise and you put them side by side and you ask somebody to pick out which one was sunrise and which one was a sunset, you'd be grossly mistaken most of the time. And then you'd get the group of people who say, okay, that's a sunset and here's why. And they'd come at you and they would tell you a story. They'd give you 50 different concrete things that are happening to show that's a sunset or a sunrise. And then you'll go, "Uh, nope, it was a sunset. You said sunrise. Well, you know, so people always try to paint a story about what they think they see. That's a mistake because... Until you interview the nervous system and truly find out, you really don't know. You're guessing. And and some people can guess, right? Some people are really talented at that. Some people think they are and have absolutely no idea what's going on. I've seen too many systems identify joint issues or neuromuscular dysfunction someplace so far away from your pain that would make your head spin. Do you remember when I took a trigger point away on you in your trap? When we were in Chris Corfus's basement oh, yeah. on your knee, I was down behind your knee to a trigger point in your trap. And you were like, how in the hell did that happen? That's the nervous system. So if you don't know, if you don't have the key, you're just guessing.
1: Yeah, I remember that quite well, actually. <laughs> Getting yeah. rid of the, it'd be like, I have a trigger point and you'd just be pressing in different places. And eventually that trigger point would just melt away. I was like, I've never had anything like this happen before. It's right. crazy.
0: So that so then and then I and I hear Dr. Carrick's guys talk about the difference between magic and science. Like if if Blaine gets on TV and he makes the Statue of Liberty disappear, everybody's like, "Oh my God, that's magic!" Until you call him up and say, "Hey, Blaine, tell me how you did that." And as soon as you understand what he did, it's not magic anymore; it's science, and it's and, and because it's the knowledge of why and how. And once you figure that out, you get a lot of stuff done.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I've I've definitely experienced that. I yeah, back in, and we did um, in Chris's basement, we were doing like the opposite, the good side, bad side and all that stuff. And yeah, it was really cool. I'd never experienced anything like it. So in terms of like talking about interviewing the nervous system, I know maybe uh, you and we can get uh, you and Sean on someday. I know you guys have been on like Robbie's podcast and stuff like that. I think that's a whole talk in and of itself, and probably really just getting to Sean's course. So I, I, I'd i like to get to talk actually about, maybe as long as we're on the topic of isometrics, I'm curious how, how have your distributions as a coach changed over time in terms of regular lifts, isometric movements, time you spend in the warm-up before you get to the meat and potatoes? Yeah. How have those distributions been altered over time?
0: I got to tell you, I think my warm-up is more important than the actual training, number one. Number two is COVID has made my style of training with isometrics and body weight stuff way more effective than most coaches that are out there because nobody really knows anything about the way we train isometrically. So I think the necessity of having to be able to, like I just did a Zoom session before we got on here with my football team. I had 20 guys on there and you know we, we beat them up in about 20 minutes and we're basically doing body weight exercises. So all inspired by by Jay's stuff, and then adding some of the neural mm. stuff that we've learned and, and some of the Signal 6 concepts that Sean's created, it just, it makes, it fits seamlessly.
1: I mean, that's the thing that I really, that that the extreme ISOs and all that, and even like stuff like the hip circles or the shoulder circles, it's just like the exposure, the neural exposure you're giving your body is just, I mean, in a in a, even let's say a three-minute lunge or right. a three-minute push-up is so far beyond what people would typically intake in a training session. There's just a lot of information. I think of it in terms of how much information is coming in the system, if you kind of yeah, distill it exactly down just, right. to, just to information. And I, that was a breakthrough I had a couple of months ago. I was like, what if we just looked at how much information is the brain being given by, you know, whatever you're doing at the, at the moment? And right. so so basically, so for a session like that, take me through it. Like, what were you guys doing? Like, I so uh some of the different isometrics or uh, as a segue to learning more about your warm up take me yeah. through some of the things you were doing
0: So the first thing that we'll do is we'll go through a, a signal 6 routine right And then if we're out on the field which we weren't tonight we're just in the Zoom so what we did tonight was we did some iso lunges at 30 seconds a clip but again it's focusing on the position the muscles were contracting and then sometimes we'll add different eye positions we'll add a complex movement up top We'll add a complex movement on the bottom if we're doing something up top. Um, We did staggered push-ups. I call them brain push-ups because if you're moving your hands in a different way, your brain's like, wait, what's going on? So your cerebellum's engaged. We do that. We'll do our rebound push-ups off of that. What else did we do tonight? One of my most favorite things that I learned from Jay was quick style exercises. Have you ever heard him talk about that?
1: I've never heard him talk about it, but I think I know what you're saying, like kind of like the EDIs where it's like ISO and then quick and then ISO and quick or the towel stuff or. I, I'm, yeah, I'm it's,
0: it's all towel stuff. So okay. all the kids had a towel tonight and we're doing uh, my favorite exercise is a, is a towel curl press where they curl it up. Then they press it over their yeah. head, they pull it down, and then they extend their triceps. So there's there's everything about upper body movement in one exercise. And what Jay would say to you is it recovers you at the same time it's training you. So you're training biceps to triceps, biceps to triceps. So there's that reciprocal inhibition. There's that it's it just it all flows seamlessly, right? In terms of human movement. And then when you get into studying the brain. And the brainstem and everything—it's it, all a flexion-extension synergy, and that's all human movement is. And and when that becomes reflexive, that's how elegant athletes move.
1: I like that too. I like. Um, well, first off, I I actually did kind of the same thing—not not all of that, but like um, the towel yeah. stuff. So when yeah, when COVID hit, and I you know this is back in March, April, and I'm being tasked with giving these athletes uh, workouts at home. I'm like and I and I know what their equipment is generally speaking. I'm kind of racking my brain I'm like, "Man, what am I going to do for like pull-ups?" And like like just some of these things cuz people don't even have a pull-up bar and I'm just like towel, like I I was just I I, I put in that like towel curl then right. quick down and it's like, "Yeah, you're not you're not hanging from anything, but you're still reciprocally activating your lats and it's still it with max intention, it's still the same motion." And so it's almost like the idea of something super simple but just max intention and i i like that drill i i think that yeah that was one of those things i'm like i got nothing else here so let's do this you know and and have you guys do that
0: it's 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 fabulous fabulous
1: you've talked about this before i think on the last podcast but and i like this too it's like man if i have only a certain amount of time and i want to make something as effective as possible like taking an iso lunge and doing different uh like are are you doing like saccades like where the thumbs are and then the eyes flick back and forth and uh, what did you mean by some of the complex arm motions? Was that towel work or was that something else?
0: So, if I'm trying to in, get the brain to pay attention to a movement or to an exercise, like a simple bridge, everybody does a bridge in a in a workout, right? We see them all over the place for glutes and everything. If you just did a simple, if you just did a simple bridge, and you took your extended leg and you traced a figure eight with your leg or your arm, for that matter. When you trace a complex movement, your cerebellum lights up like nobody's business. So now it's saying it gives meaning to the exercise of what you're doing. So it actually creates, I, I call them like a neural imprint on this is hip extension. This is what it feels like. He wants me to pay attention to this movement. So there it is. So that's very cerebellum based mm-hmm. is when we do complex movements. you know, And, and if we're doing something from a from – a, Brainstem activity, we're going to talk about facilitating different flexors or extensors, and we might grin, we might gargle, we might have our eyes in one direction. All these things influence the contraction that you're trying to promote. So it's like a synergistic effect. And once you get the brain to buy into those contractions, they
1: become more powerful. That's awesome. I'm actually I'm actually grinning right now, thinking of having a group of people extreme ISOing and saying, like, put a smile on your face. it's yeah. kind of contagious. I don't know, but like there's this... So what... Um... Actually, I'll say this before I get any more into it is, as you mentioned, like doing like bouts of 30 second ISOs mm-hmm. and things like that. Uh, and I know, you know, Jay has prescribed some really long ISO holds. So where do you yep. kind of tend to flow on that spectrum right now in terms of your typical prescriptions and where and when?
0: Really young kids, like my son's 10. I have him hold ISOs for as long as he can, because at that age, I think it's about manipulating body weight and and understanding your body weight and understanding where muscles are, what muscles do what, and joint positions. So I I get him into a perfect position, my son, and I make him hold it as long as he can. And then when he begins to break down in certain areas, I know those are the areas I need to target in the rest of his training. Mm. So the younger you are, the longer we'll hold it the older you are or the more developed you are as a mover and again all we're doing is training people who walk and run that's what we have to do that's the end goal here is you have to walk you have to run if you can walk and run you can jump right that that's an easy an easy um, transition so as you get older we're going to start weighting things we're going to start shortening the time and making the contractions more intense all these things will start to get a little bit more complex but the younger kids, they come in, hold positions because when they run, they can't even hold their body weight up when they're run. Why would I have them run? You know.
1: Yeah, I feel like children, and I, I've experienced this when in working with club track and field. Uh, I mean, kids as young as age eight, but I found some of the best people at isometrics were actually like uh, like ten to twelve year old. I should say maybe like ten to thirteen year old girls who are sprinters yeah. were yeah. just amazing at holding like an iso lunge they were really good but then some of the kids and it was interesting because at that age it really did seem to correlate pretty closely with with how fast they're i'm not saying an iso lunge yeah. it is going to make you fast but I, I think what i got was like the kids who were strong and explosive and cared <laughs> and yeah. and i think there's just something about being like a younger athlete just moves more naturally and they, i feel like they're just better at isos like i was Just, um, I literally was just recording a podcast with Mark Wetzel and we were talking about how good like young rock climbers are, like little kids who can like hang, their ability to hang and just sustain those isometric contractions. It's like they can go up on the rock wall and then come back down and we're an adult, they'd have to rest two or three minutes and shake their arms out and the kids like, boom, right back up, you know, no, no problem. It's almost like their movement, just strategies or whatever haven't really been... I guess mess yeah. with you can say that's so.
0: exactly right. It's I think it's like their proprioceptive maps, right? They're they're compromised as you get older because of all the the injuries or the, the the way you move incorrectly. That all adds up. So then when you go to show something that's perfect, you really can't do it for that long. My son when he was. Six, seven, and eight could hold lunges for ridiculously mm-hmm. long times. As he's getting a little older and he's playing more sports and he's developing more of these, oh, I've got this, or, I, You know, I bumped this knee. Mm-hmm. Now it becomes less and less. So the challenge becomes even more. It's, it's interesting how that works. Yeah. he was more pure when he was younger.
1: Yeah, I, I'm still trying to, figure, I'm like super fascinated with that, especially having young children myself and just watching them move and just how yeah. like easy it is. I was like, man, if I could, to be, <laughs> to have yeah. this, this raw programming again before, you know, whatever happens, it's, I, I just, so I was, I've ever since I've had kids, I'm like, man, if you could just take how a child moves and then put power onto it, like that's really the the end of the day goal <laughs> it's uh that's um as for an adult athlete whereas but we just have so many you know it's like how and where did all these compromises come in I, like you said yeah proprioceptive injury uh yep, stress yep. and and inf- or inflammation i don't know like it's probably a lot of things
0: anxiety all yeah. that stuff can change it's a stressor on the body so it's the stress is going to change what happens to your body and and whether it be weight that you put on your shoulders or whether it be uh, all day at work it's going to change the way your body expresses itself.
1: Yeah. So in, in terms of like ironing those out, I have heard like an isometric is kind of a good place to at least hopefully reduce compensations and restore a better state or maybe it itself is a little bit of a shotgun. Um, Do you feel like, I mean, how do you feel like restoring the body to the natural state in terms of how important isometrics are versus um, like some of the other modalities? Do you think you can take an athlete and absent of other modalities just doing enough isometrics, restore an optimal state? Or do you really need like the other things, the vision, the vestibular, the proprioceptive, some of those other, or is it just totally case by case?
0: Um, I think you need a combination of all of that stuff going on. I think you need adequate vestibular stimulation, visual stimulation and proprioceptive stimulation to induce all kinds of recovery. I mean, and I think that, Some of the literature that's written on recovery leaves out the vestibular system. And I don't understand that because the vestibular system is in charge of your parasympathetics. Like when you have too much of your vestibular system going on, you throw up. It's the rest and digest. Hmm. So why not put that into your recovery workouts? It's not anywhere in the literature of I rock to recover right? When a baby cries and sympathetics are nuts, what do we do? We rock them. We do that naturally. We don't even think about it. Imagine trying to write that into some power lifters program, rocking, sitting in a rocking chair. They're not going to do something like that. But in reality, that's how we were designed. That's what creates relaxation. And that same system can increase your sympathetic tone, right? If you really amp up your vestibular system, here comes your extensor tone everything is turning on so it's like what's the the Kenny Chesney song that says the cure is the is the, the the cure is the disease and the disease is the potion and it's the same thing right but you have to train it
1: yeah, I, I, I feel bad that I don't know that Kenny Chesney song. I, I like Kenny Chesney. I haven't listened to his stuff in a while, but I'm like, I should know that somewhere. Uh, anyways, um, I okay, so I had a, based off what you were saying, actually, I have a question. It's later, I have it later in my question list. But, um, okay. and, and before I forget, too, I really like that idea of the, um, the push ups with the variation. It was um, Michael Zweifel and Tyler Yerby, uh, they have like a group, Emergence. I think Sean Mishka's, he's in there too. Uh, but they do a lot of like exploration based movements. And one of the simple ones, is just is just push up and change your hand position every time. And Absolutely. as I was I was messing with the different movements, I was like, oh, I really like this. This is so simple, but it's great. You just you really distribute forces in um a, an interesting way or a different way throughout each um you know every time you put your hand in a different place that you're gonna hit the muscle in a little bit different way and so you're not for one you just aren't having the same joint stress and it's more a more like robust um, system. And so I I just really like that. I started putting it in my warm-ups all the time and it just felt like it it, it, it was kind of one of those things too, where it's like, if you were going to do like a really heavy, like max pushup, I guess, with weight on your back, I feel like doing the variable before would open up the nervous system maybe. And and I, I like stuff like that anyways. Yeah. Uh, and so I wanted to ask you one, I guess if you have any thoughts on that, but really um, you mentioned like the rocks. And so uh, I know you've done some work in, on crawling and in some of your neurological presentations. And so I kind of wanted to ask you, um, what, what role is crawling play in your program? Be it a uh, recovery day, if it if you could stimulate the vestibular system with crawling for the recovery day, or do you use it on the main days, or how how have you taken that training modality?
0: Well, I think I think crawling can can kind of be linked into um, movements like the infinity walk, right? So it's this neurological cooperation that's going on. Um, you have these sophisticated neural networks that we have, and you're just enhancing them. So again, I always talk about systems. So I, I was speaking about square one and, and Sean and, and his system and, and Matt Bole. I, I don't know if you, if you've heard of Matt from Canada, he's from Montreal. He has a, a system that he calls IP, which is all about motor patterns and, and how we develop movement since birth, right? So he focuses on the tactile vestibular proprioceptive system in, in stage one, two, three of these movement competencies. So Going back and integrating the way you crawled and how you crawl plays a huge way in how you've developed movement, right? So if you want to develop that extensor chain, part of it is learning how to crawl and pick your head up and getting your eyes in the correct position to start to embrace your extensor system. Because we're born into flexion. So going all the way back and, and rehearsing some of those patterns and getting better at it can prove huge dividends in the way you run and the way you walk.
1: Yeah. So I, I want to dig into that because um, when I was interviewing Tim Anderson, who uh, was original strength, so that it's like he's like the crawling guy as I've yeah, uh, yeah. seen it. Uh, he said like you want to uh, have kind of like a silverback posture and then lift your head up and eyes forward. And I never asked him why, Uh, but as you're explaining it, I, cause it's, I was just working with an athlete. I mean, I feel like I have to say this every time I work with new athletes is there's people who just don't want to lift their head up. And so if someone's crawling with their eyes down or a little bit, that's their natural mode. It seems that they're crawling. What does that tell you about that person from a neurological perspective or why is it important (laughs) to lift the head up? So if actually it's like the extensor chain, or can you go into that a little bit on why it's important to have a head up in crawling?
0: Well, when you, when you start to develop movement, you, you move just to move, right? And then there's movement with intention. So then your eyes have to come up and now you're searching for where you're going. You're, you're looking for a location. While you do that, you start interacting with your vestibular system, with the, the, the way your eyes converge, the way your eyes see the horizon. And now that develops your postural muscles. And that's part of your movement competency strategies if you miss that along the way, that's going to hurt you down the road. And to trace that back, it's it's incredible. We go through some of these exercises in the IP course. It's pretty cool to, to, to do certain rocking movements, tactile stimulations, different vestibular exercises. And all of a sudden the way your gate unfolds, it just changes because you've never, you've never met those competencies. So we trace it all the way back. I mean, you know, too soon we're doing all these advanced exercises and everything when in reality we might not have developed what we really needed.
1: Yeah. One of the things I've been interested in lately is just the interaction between things like, uh, like an ISO lunge and a bear crawl and running and what yep. impact to do one and then the other, or just simply doing crawling and then running and then crawling and then running. And it's like, you feel, you almost feel this different form of activation when you make yeah. that change over and it's so simple too it's like the simplest it's one of the simplest things you could possibly do but i've i just noticed that i don't even know why i started doing that i was like man, i was just bored and bored of my tempo yep. runs and i'm like i want to do something else so i'm gonna do some crawls and i just felt almost some some strange and better engagement as i stood up to run i was like oh, i like this i'm gonna keep doing more of this so I, I, so basically, like you're saying, it's, a, it's really a primal or an early activation Absolutely. of the extensor chain. And if you lose that, then you're probably not activating your extensor chain. The recent individual I had training who was very poor at lifting his head up was also very quad dominant. And so maybe those two are related, right? Like if yep. you're not getting that I mean, chain going. Uh,
0: again, everything is h- in that brain stem, in that cerebellum, in that cortex. These things need to be developed and hardwired into your brain. And we go to these such advanced movements so fast that have we really even experienced belly on ground crawling or, you know, regular crawling? We haven't. We skipped over some things. And um, you can see these deficiencies as you get older, as you get more injuries. Even the primitive reflexes play a role of, of the non-integrated reflexes. That's another whole thing where, you know, people will say to me, well, you stimulate the bottom of somebody's foot and all of a sudden their range of motion changes. Yeah. That's what happens. If you don't have a reflex that's integrated, absolutely can cause huge changes. I mean, if you just think about the tactile feel in your hand, so we're all into this shoulder flexion and I have to, you know, get full range of motion in my shoulder. What starts that is the tactile feeling in your hand. Because that's why we have an elbow to bend our arm and to feed ourselves. If we if that if we lose that sensation, that tactile sensation, that's going to jam everything up. So I'll tell some people before they even go to the doctor to get examined for a shoulder issue is get get one of those those neural spike balls, rub it on your hand mm-hmm. a little bit, and and see which one's more sensitive. Is it the one that where your shoulder hurts? Yeah, it's more sensitive. Rub that hand out a little bit. Move your shoulder now. How's it feel? Ah, it feels way different. Well, you just woke up everything that your brain's
1: connected to. Yeah. I it's, actually,
0: it's, sometimes it's that simple.
1: I actually got one of those spike balls from uh, when I was at Sean's. Uh, yeah. Sean put on a daily clinic, and actually, Jeff Moyer had one because it was at Jeff's mm-hmm. place. And so I just, he said I could take it. And my kids like playing with it, but I always like just like, yeah, rubbing my hands on that thing and like, it's weird because I had an injured hand like that I almost ripped the finger off of. And just the sensation on the palm of that hand, not even near the finger necessarily, is yep. a lot different. And come to think of it, my shoulder on that right side actually has been feeling weird today. So I'm going to go, when I'm done with this, I'm going to go and, and stimulate that hand and see if I can get to I'll tell some you changes.
0: what, you do that and then text message me. You'll be like, how does that feel better? <laughs> and that that's Matt's course, right? So now mm-hmm. you integrate all these different courses, this IP course. It's fabulous when it comes back to tracing it all the way back. And- Putting it together with Sean's course, which is the the postural security stuff, it's just amazing to see. And then then Matt teaches another the posturology. I'm sure you've heard of that. That stuff's crazy. And when you're t- again, when you're talking about these primitive reflexes, and and the the action that can happen just from stimulating some of these reflexes, it's incredible. It makes what we do in the weight room seem so. I mean. Again, we go to that equation. 10% of voluntary movement is controlled by your brain. The, the other part of that movement is all reflexive in nature. And I tell people this. If I'm reaching for something with my right hand, my right hand movement, that voluntary movement is controlled by my left cortex. My left cortex, in turn, fires the PMRF that stabilizes all the muscles down my left side so I don't fall over when I pick that thing up. That's the part we don't train. If we train that part, we get way more benefit. Way more benefit.
1: You're listening to the Just Fly Performance Podcast, brought to you by Simply Faster. I I like the idea of, um, and you've said this, is the sensory precedes motor. And even even before I found that spiky ball with all the little textured surfaces, I just love using lacrosse balls. And I think I had to get over, because it's almost like we start learning enough to be dangerous, and the thing I was learning to be dangerous was... Oh, well, these balls don't really stimulate the fascia. You know, we 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 peg this stuff as myofascial release. And as soon as you right, kind of right. become woke there and realize you're not really altering the fascia with that stuff, it's kind of like, oh, well, why use it? You know, oh, I'm so smart. <laughs> but then right. you come back and it's like, oh, wait, no, this was having a big change on the nervous system. And right. so, I um, I really started using, last year, I really started using lacrosse balls before, like if we we're going to do Olympic lifts, like cleans or something or a yep. jump, like we would do, we would superset it rather than just sitting there, you know, twiddling your thumbs between sets. Let's get a, you know, use a lacrosse ball, stimulate your feet. And, yep. you know, if you're not stimulating and creating this like uh, chance to have more sensation, you're kind of, kind of wasting time. I mean, you could stand in at attention. I used to have people do power stance between or stand in at attention between. That's something you can do too, but... Uh, were, you know, I think like just dancing in between or just talking to someone that could be fine and good, but um, yeah, I, 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 that was something big. I was like, you notice real movement changes the way those cleans were right. going up and like almost a feed forward from the ground up rather than people like kind of yanking with their arms as a sensory that did seem to change it, and I, I and so. Um, yeah, that was like one of the first things that I was like, just, just giving sensation before you do these exercises. And
0: yeah, that, that, that really tactile sensation work. is, is a stage one competency is, is, and, and, and then it, it turns into hand eye coordination. Right, so I mean, it, it, the the way you feel something in your hand is then going to be the way you start to move your hands and your eyes together and match that up, and boom, all of a sudden that becomes shoulder flexion. Right, so Matt will do these drills in in the course, and it's it's crazy. Like he's got an example of a. <laughs> I don't want to give away some of the stuff that he does, but sure. he's got this example of a. A guy doing an overhead squat, and, and again, I'm not an Olympic lifting guy, so he's he's got an overhead squat, and, and there's limitation in this position. So he has him juggle before, and that hand-eye coordination and tactile stimulation and the frontal lobe stimulation—it's ridiculous what happens to your shoulder flexion. Ridiculous.
1: Yeah, I, I've seen a couple of coaches uh, like Keegan with Real Movement and then uh, Max Shank um, espousing juggling, like just as a general thing. And I, I, that, yeah, there's another thing you could do between, right? But it just, I, I've always, I mean, this just fits with, it's almost like I've always been on this quest and I've talked with you about this before, but like pick up basketball is like the ultimate warm up for dunking. I feel like you can't really beat it. And, There's, there's, and I I do want to ask you about infinity walks and infinity runs here. So we'll, we'll, we'll have that as the next question. But it's like there's so much going on there from not only a a movement perspective, you have all these quick impulses and bursts and heel taps, and and your feet are working really quickly and you're getting your heart rate up, your muscle temperature up, physiological stuff. Um, But there's also like this orchestra of movement in front of you and decisions, and the eyes are going to be going all over the place and the, and the head and 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 vestibular and and everything. It's almost like a juggling. It's almost as if you try to do like juggling while we're doing infinity runs or something, right? right? right. On some level, it's just this this complete. And you're with your peer group, you know, too. It's right. a peer group oriented thing. So yeah. I've always just trying to figure out. I don't know if like I don't know. I, I I'm always trying to like get as close as I can to that type of activation.
0: But it's, it's multimodal. I mean, yeah. that's and you know to, to to go right into infinity walks. That's what it is. It's a it's a a crap ton of sensory information coming into your body and that's what it wants to yeah. be able to move efficiently i mean and people think it's you know, i got to get strong i got to get mobile joints no you need good sensory input mm-hmm. that's going to create your fantastic motor output and the complexity of the infinity walks the visual stimulation the vestibular the automatic weight shift that you have in the infinity walk the complexity of the movement and the figure eight, all these things add up to these sophisticated neural networks that our body craves. And, you know, it it was designed with learning and emotional disturbances in mind of helping kids with, with these types of issues. But in reality, it helps us move cleaner. And when you see somebody do an infinity walk and then they're doing their skill, you're like, whoa, what just happened there? So we'll do it in a – like for football practice, we'll do it before an individual practice where we're we're doing wide receiver routes, right? We'll do it before that. We'll put it into a circuit at the end of our workout um, that I'll do on the field. I hardly ever go back into the weight room to do our in-season training. We're always doing stations outside. One of those stations is always infinity walks. Hmm. They're, they'll crawl during infinity walks. They'll walk, they'll jog, they'll hold their breath. They'll do all di- they'll do farmer's walks, doing infinity, all kinds of different things.
1: Yeah. So just to clarify too, before I get too far down the rabbit hole of that, yep. is the infinity walk is basically put two like hoops on the ground or two yep. you know, circles and you're just doing figure eights, walking, running, crawling. At and whatever. you have
0: a visual target that you're focused on the entire time. So there's there's the training of the convergence of the eyes and the divergence of the eyes. There's head turn and there's hip turn. There's automatic weight shift and there's this, this communication between right brain and left brain. All these things are going on while you're walking. So you have to have that visual fixation on that point. That's probably the most important part.
1: That's awesome. I I like, um, Kind of like the in thing, and it's totally true. Like, or the woke thing to say, uh, one of which I think is is the nervous system, but also is starting to talk about movement as circles and spirals rather than just these linear straight lines. And right. it's almost like I, I, you know, just like the system of fractals or or something. If you see something on a micro scale, it also is on the macro. And I uh, the way. I almost view that, that infinity run, it's like a macro scale of how we function, the human body functions anyways, which is these circles and spirals, and it's just like you're exposing the body through, you're on that outside of the circle, you're probably more supinating, uh, and then you're on the inside, and then you're more pronating on that inside of the foot, and you, it's like you're just working the full, like, you get to work more of a spectrum, the same way Chris does, uh, Corfus does those, like, uh, diagonal exergeny runs, you just... Yep. I, you just get to work um, it's almost like a 360 way to work all these <laughs> joints in the body
0: it's it's that subtle weight shift that that we don't normally think about but when we're emotionally stressed or we're struggling with learning and this and we can combine that motion like i'm going to be honest with you like part of my son's fourth grade curriculum is they have to read i think they got to read 20 minutes a night i have i set up a book and I put two kitchen chairs and he infinity walks and reads at the same time because that's his visual focus. And then he's got a complete movement tasks and now he's got to read. So the retention is way better. His gaze fixation hmm. changes his convergence to divergence works better. Um, and then, it, and then I put his lacrosse stick in his hand. So now he's doing that while he's reading. Hmm. So now we're, we're complexing it all the time. And again, we're making it more sophisticated and, and, It's a fantastic, that lady, believe it or not, Joel, lives in Rochester, New York, the lady who wrote the book. Oh, really? Oh, yeah. I've I've emailed her like four or five times and she's like, we're in the middle of a pandemic. I can't talk right now. I have a lot of clients. She goes, but I would love to talk to you about how you're implementing it in in, in the sports. I think it's unbelievable for that. So I can't wait to sit down with her and really have a great conversation because it's got tremendous benefit.
1: Yeah. Oh, that's awesome. Uh, so would you, um, like, will you do just like, like, uh, is there like kind of a, you know, like that like we have the 40 yard dash, right? Do you have like yep. any, a set, like this is the size of the circle and you sprint on that or anything like that? Or is it just more, No, we
0: don't normally sprint on it. Um, I'll jog on it. Um, we'll do breath holds on it. Um, we'll crawl, we'll do farmer's walk. We haven't really sprinted on it. Um, but uh, again, the complexity of all the movement that's going on within those two circles serves enough brain networks to 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 kind of correlate to running fast and doing these things at high speeds. You know, you could you could do it with your arms over your head, like Franz Bosch. You could do it with an aquabag. Mm-hmm. There's 50 million different ways to do it, and uh, you know, I, I would imagine that each person would respond differently to each stimulus. And um, but I always put crawling in there. Crawling, doing infinity walks is crazy because your eyes got to be up on the target. We'll have a coach standing in the middle; he is the target, and uh, and we go from there. And it it's it's awesome.
1: Do you superset that with like so? If uh, football practice, do you? You, you're talking about like a conditioning circuit or your power circuit outside of practice. Do you ever superset that stuff with skills? Like you're going to do oh, it, yeah. you're running routes or doing the... Oh, that's awesome. I like that.
0: Yeah. Well, um, well, so part of our individual... Let's say I, I blow the whistle and it's individual time and receivers come to me. So we have partners. One is doing an infinity jog. The other is standing in front as the visual target, throwing a football to them. They catch it, throw it back, catch it, throw it back while they're completing that infinity pattern um so now they're they have to work on their hand eye coordination they have to work on catching the football was which we, we do um and then it adds that complexity to it and that sophisticated again the sophisticated neural networks of crossing over from right brain to left brain
1: yeah i like that so it's a. Uh- In real, in reality, it could be kind of a you could you could use as a warm up for potentiation. Yep. Yeah, potentiation, or you could do it as a a superset with whatever else you're doing. It makes me stuff like that makes me think about. And when I was talking about, I had this insight of like just viewing everything as information. And also, I think I had the insight of the best athletes can just intake a little more information than everyone else because you have to to pull off some of the stuff that they're doing. It's almost like if you only have I don't know however many if you use fictional units and I only can handle four bits and you can handle nine, you know, my right. technique is probably going to suck <laughs> right. or or whatever. Or I'm just not going to handle, or I can't handle this uh, this game situation because I couldn't intake enough information. I, I mean, I'm sure there's different layers of it, but I was starting to think about, you, you just look at like awesome, just pure athletes and they can do like cartwheels and backflips and it's self-taught, right? And just stuff that, I don't know. Maybe some of that's genetic too, a little bit, or like in the DNA line. But I, I always just look at those people, and I think you can just handle more, or or something. I know something's going on there.
0: The, their uh, their bandwidth is ridiculous for movement. You know what I mean? It's it's unbelievable. But and and that's that's kind of how I develop my warm up. Is is we want to increase that bandwidth, right? So. We have like ten things that we focus on in our warm up, and it ca- it could look different every day, but it's going to have those ten components.
1: Gotcha. Um, yeah. So, so what? Um, uh, this is like a main question, but i will probably yep. be like basically one of the last. I want to get to this because I know we've been talking for a little while. Um, so just just quickly, uh, what are things that are like essential elements in a warm up? And you you mentioned the warm up is really for you, just as or more important than the actual. I guess what we would consider meat it, and potatoes.
0: It really is. So, um. So I I think breathing is key, teaching someone how to breathe. I think getting your heart rate up. I think some type of vertical bouncing or I I call it like piezoelectric tapping, making sure your heels are hitting the ground, creating a vibration throughout your body. Mm. Um, I think you have to try to at some point have structural balance, which I do a lot of the good-sided stuff to create that structural balance before we even train. I think you have to address your reflex system. Um, I think you have to adjust, uh, you know address certain joint angles, um, which Square One and Sig Six does that for me. I think you have to address your tactile, um, your visual, your vestibular, and then your hemispheres of your brain. So when you include all those things, and I think I, when I was talking to Chris and we were doing a Zoom, I think I put, I made it into ten things. That just pick something out of those ten mm-hmm. things. There's your warm up, and it's not just a warm up. It's a it's a brain stimulation that's going to make you stronger, faster, react quicker, smarter, all those things because it's all brain.
1: Yeah, all like brain it, drive. It's, it's just I think it yeah, if we think of things as general, just this is stimulation. Like it, like you said, smarter. Like you're just we're stimulating the organism. I think there is something to that. Like I, I absolutely. I, I think that's, um, let me um, ask you about the heel tapping real quick, because that's that's yep. kind of interesting. I hadn't heard much about that, but so just bouncing, because I know like, I, I mean, I like for the elastic system and tendons just doing hops up and down, but so the when the heels hit the ground, you said it creates a whole body vibration that is just a good stimulation of the system as well?
0: Yeah, so if I'm trying to stimulate the vestibular system in any way when those heels are hitting the ground and creating that vibration, you are stimulating the otolith.
1: Oh yeah, the, right. the fluid, this just got to be bouncing up and down in those ears, hey? Right? <laughs> Ex- exactly.
0: Then from a bone standpoint, it's creating a piezoelectric charge going through your body. So there's a lot of systems out there that were created around bone tapping or vibrations in bone. I mean, if you look at all of all vibration machines that's hmm. what it is it's it's vibrating the bone to be able to create this piezoelectric effect so i think that bouncing on the heels and, and i'll add we put our tongue between our teeth hmm. to stimulate the manib- mandibular reflex i think those things little things are huge and it relaxes the body completely relaxes the body hmm.
1: That's that's interesting. I'm gonna to have to try that right after this. And uh, what else did I say I was gonna do? Oh, I was gonna get the thing on uh, the the ball out and get my shoulder going. I'll do Please those. Please do. Two. I'll do those, and, and then two.
0: and then tweet it and go. oh My God, I was rubbing some freaking neural yeah. spike on my hand, and my shoulder flexion got better. And I was bouncing up and down on my heels with my tongue between my teeth, and my jaw feels great.
1: Yeah, I'll, I'll try like a quick toe touch in between the the heel the heel tapping the jaw. So your tongue is actually I've heard tongue on the roof of the mouth. You're actually putting it between the well, teeth on that one.
0: Here's why I'm doing that because there's a natural reflexive like like if you have tension in your jaw. All a all trigger point is 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 contractile things going on, mm-hmm. right? So if you put your tongue between your teeth and there's some type of vibration going through it, the whole mandibular area relaxes because it doesn't want to bite your tongue off. Yeah, oh so yeah. So yeah. in order, right? In order to get a, a relaxation of that that whole area of your jaw, that's what you do. That's how you stimulate that reflex. And then your jaw is the highest joint on your body. So when you release that and it feels great, your hamstrings will feel better too.
1: That's cool. I'm going to do that before I go to bed. I've I've been clenching my uh, jaw a little bit too hard lately, I think. So maybe Mm -hmm. I'll wake up with a little less tension perhaps. Or you
0: can just do it like this.
1: (laughs) Yeah. For those of you who can't see, Dan just put his (laughs) tongue between his teeth and then use his hand to hit the bottom of his jaw. I I'll, right. I'll do it too a little bit, <laughs> um, so yeah. But that, that I mean that makes sense. Yeah, and it because it, it has to. It's a forced um, relaxation. So I, I I had another thought on that. I kind of let it slip my mind as soon as you were showing me like the I thought it was yep. kind of funny how you're doing that. So um, okay. Last thing as you mentioned uh, so that is vestibular too, which is interesting. Yep. But is there any visual? I mean, vision. I'm sure it can get complicated and extremely individual. Um, just from a general perspective, are you doing like saccades or like a different um, – or they with the infinity runs, is it woven into stuff? Um, how are you engaging the visual so, system?
0: So, in infinity walks, it's woven right into the, the drill itself where you're going to have to actively switch from right to left and get your head to gaze stabilize. So, gaze stabilization is one of the most important things to teach an athlete. Because as you gaze stabilize, it creates that head stability. Franz Bosch talks about it all the time. So if he can find ways to keep your head still, your body, then the threat disappears. Mm. Threat disappears, you have better movement capabilities, right? Mm. So, so gaze stabilization is very important. And being able to focus on something is important. Um, getting your peripheral going. And making sure that your peripheral is intact. Because as we start, as threats increase, our peripheral comes in here. Mm. If you think about things that we do in the weight room and sprinting, everything is like this. Tunnel, yeah. So we're not training our periphery. Why not? Let's try that. Let's open it up a little bit to see what happens when we start to tunnel it in. We wear football helmets in football. That's closing us in to one eye field can't have that you got to be able to expand that
1: yeah we'll Um, say Oh, sorry i'll just really quickly i think i feel like the best athletes i've i've watched trained or and and observed in the weight room they you might call them almost a little lazy in the sense but i i mean but by this i mean they're not going to get super amped up and tunnel vision it to hit a one rm you know like they they want to stay open like they want to it's almost like they want to keep options open as if they're playing as if they have to keep that's at least my take on it. I, with like some of these super smooth good technicians, just good overall athletes. They they seem whereas the guy who's like the bench like the, like the walk on grinder, he's like, right. ah, fire it up, you know.
0: And then and, and then, everything <laughs> is uh, yeah, focused. Yeah, that, yeah. that's an issue. I mean, that's okay to have for a one rep max, I guess.
1: As long as you can turn but it off, right? Like e-
0: exactly. And most people can't. And that mm-hmm. that's the whole premise behind RPR is you're stuck in this sympathetic drive, and if you want to start expanding something, you have to reduce it to go better, right? So, y- you have to find ways to expand your periphery and basically reduce threat of the nervous system. And once you do that, you know the, the, the whole strength training thing and the whole it, it becomes a mute point because if you can control your nervous system, reduce threat, that stuff just takes care of itself.
1: Yeah, it's. uh it's definitely, you know, it's a deep, deep world with the nervous system. But I, I mean, I've just even me with the just t- doing something, like touching my toes between sets and things like that, and just using that as a learning perspective to say, hey, am I? Is this train of exercises putting me or warm ups is putting me in more threat or less threat? Is my right. body? Is everything opening up or is it starting to close down? And just even asking that question uh, has been good for me. So. Um, it's definitely you know it's definitely good being able to talk to you and expand my own vocabulary on, on different things that I can do to hopefully further that even more for um, the athletes I work with.
0: Like I, I hear like I, and I know you talk a lot with Adarian uh, and those guys and I listen to all that stuff. I love it all, but my my thing is is your your feet and your eyes set your posture. If you think about it, your your eyes on the horizon and how they sit, and your feet on the ground how they sit. Dictates your posture and the torsion you could put on your body if they're incorrectly sitting there. So, before any of those things that need to happen with arches and all these things, you better make sure your feet are sitting on the ground correctly and your eyes are functioning correctly because they're going to distort everything from the top down and the bottom up. And I think that's been a key to some of the development that I've had with athletes is addressing their feet from a tactile sensation, from a reflex sensation, and then expanding their periphery. All of a sudden, you start to see the way they run change. And I didn't tell them, yo, you need to run with high, you need to do it like that. I'm just reducing the threat. And then they start to move like they're designed to move.
1: Yeah. I I know I've had that experience, at least just on the local level with uh, back when I was doing the Be Activated with Douglas Heal uh, back in the day, yeah. like just your feet, do you do something neurological and your feet just, oh, this is like lighter. I'm just walking around easier. Like, yeah. I, I get this. Yeah. And then, and so, Um. yeah, I I know next time I see you, I'll have to, that's the, like, I've been doing a ton of stuff with the feet. So that's like the last frontier that I got to continue to learn a little bit more about because I get it. I know some people, it's just like, it's like, what, what can we get going on here that we're not already doing? And so I'm excited to hopefully learn more about that in the future. Absolutely. So, all right, Dan, well, I I know we, uh, it's been a little bit of a late night for both of us. And so, hey, thank you so much for taking the time, man. It's a blast talking to you every time and
0: uh, I appreciate it. it. It was good catching up with you, buddy.
1: That is the end of the line with this train on neurology, the brain, the body, and athletic performance. Hope you enjoyed that one. Tons of great practical information. And if you like the show, you can help us out by uh, leaving us a rating or review on iTunes, Stitcher, whatever you're listening to. Before we get out of here, we wanted to also give one last shout out to our longtime sponsor, simplyfaster.com. Suppliers of high-end training technology, be sure to check out their blog, their online store. They are doing a lot for the coaching community, so be sure to support them as they've been supporting us as a longtime sponsor. All right, we'll see you guys next week. Have a good one.